Father, it is good to be still for just a few seconds. It's good to be quiet. And just to ponder and just to think and to take a, kind of a mental break and recalibrate. We're grateful that you are there. We're grateful that you are in charge. We're grateful that you never get fatigued or stressed or surprised. We do, but you don't. Thank you for truth. Thank you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And as he put it, no man comes to the Father except through him. That doesn't fly in this culture. We want there to be many ways, but Jesus said that he was the only way because he is the one true God. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I and the Father are one. It's a mystery how the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, how uh, it, it, it is. It's, it's beyond our comprehension, but we find it in Scripture. And we are grateful that the Trinity said in Genesis 1, when creation was taking place, let us... You put all of this into existence, and you've put each man here into existence. There are times, Lord, when our path is clear, and we have a season of smooth sailing, and a time of favor, and a time where everything seems to be just kind of going the way that we had hoped. Those are very special times, and when those times occurs, we understand that those are gifts from you. But there are also times, Lord, of confusion, and there are times of uh, disappointment. There, there are times of confusion. We're not quite sure where you are or what you are up to. That happened to Job, and it happened to him quickly. Everything was going well, and then it, probably in less than a half hour, the, the, the news came pouring in, and everything changed. And then it got worse. And it baffled him, and it confused him. And, and, at, and at one point, he, he expressed that he, he would look to this side and he couldn't find you. He'd look there and he, you're not out there. You're not behind him. You're, he couldn't find you anywhere. But he said this. He said, but he knows the way I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. There are seasons, Lord, of testing. There are seasons of refinement where seemingly you just put us into the fire. But the fire is not to ruin us, although that's what we fear. The fire is to refine us. And there is no man who belongs to you that escapes that process on this earth. Because you want to take us from immaturity to maturity. Uh, those are the hard times. Those are the brutal chapters. Those are the ones that um, break our hearts, and those are the ones that cause us to question you. I would pray for the guys who are in that chapter of life that as tonight we look at Moses, that you might encourage them. Because when testing comes and we find ourselves in the wilderness, it's because you are up to something. Uh, we feel sometimes abandoned. We feel forgotten. We wonder where you are. We wonder why you are not on our team. But the whole time, uh, you're working on our behalf. And you are simply 
attempting to deepen us and get us ready for the next chapter of life. For the guys that are there who are tired, who are worn out, who are fatigued, who are frightened, I pray that you will undergird them tonight and, and refresh their hearts and their spirits with truth. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Even in the midst of adversity, if we have truth, we can, we can experience freedom knowing that your hand is upon us, and nothing can touch us that you do not permit. That's how great your power is. This is not about going through hard things because you want to ruin us. You want to rebuild us and use us. Encourage us tonight. Make this time valuable. That will only happen as your spirit takes your word and applies it. So give us teachable hearts. Invade the blind spots that we all have. Open our eyes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Hebrews 11, still working our way through. And by now, if you've been with us, you know that Hebrews 11 is God's hall of uh, fame. The men who are listed uh, in Hebrews 11 are in there because they walked by faith. Um, Hebrews 11 uh, is really a pivotal chapter for the entire book. Uh, just by way of summary, the, the early Christians were, were Jews. They had uh, the law. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, Chuck made a great point on Sunday, and his point was that sometimes people think that the Old Testament is not as important as the New Testament, and that's a mistake because all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you look at Romans chapter 15, and I know you thought we were going to Hebrews 11, but stop at Romans 15 on your way. Uh, there's a lot of stuff in the Old Testament. It, there are a lot of lessons in the Old Testament. What the book of Hebrews was, is, was going to do, it was going to help these Jewish believers figure out the role of the Old Testament in regard to the New Testament and the new covenant that Christ had, had brought. Jesus fulfilled the law in every point, so we don't have to. By the way, none of us could fulfill the law in every point. We just can't do it. In fact, whenever we see the law, we want to break the law. There's the story told that down in Galveston, uh, somewhere on the Gulf Coast, there was a hotel right there up on the shoreline. And you know, there's uh, several stories, and, and you know, everybody had a balcony, and the water's right there. And uh, at one point, someone else uh, came in and bought it. And uh, when they purchased it, said to the previous owner, uh, looking around, he said, hey, you ever have anybody fishing off these balconies? And the guy said, actually, no, we've never had anybody fish off the balconies. And uh, for some reason, the guy who bought it was very concerned. So did the remodel on all that. And on each balcony on the rail, he put a sign, no fishing from the balconies. And suddenly they had an epidemic <laughs> of guys out there wanting to fish off the balcony. Why? Because somebody said, don't fish off the balcony. That's our heart. We don't want to do what it says. We break the law. Jesus came and fulfilled the law in every point. He went to the cross died in our place for our sins, um, was buried, this is 1 Corinthians 15, 3, was, um, rose again on the third day, appeared to Peter, appeared to the apostles, appeared to 500 at one time. That's the gospel. He died in our place. So Hebrews 11, all of Hebrews is focusing uh, when you get to the end of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 begins. I hope you're writing this down. <laughs> I've got all kinds of profound thoughts tonight. Okay, so you get to the end of Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12 starts, and Hebrews 12 says, therefore. Hebrews 12 is going to 
summarize what he just said in Hebrews 11, and it's, to me, it's the focus of the entire book. Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the people in Hebrews 11 he's just discussed who were on the earth and walked by faith, now we're on the earth walking by faith, okay? Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run the race with endurance. Watch this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews is all about Jesus. The Old Testament and the New Testament is all about Jesus. Christianity is Jesus exclusively. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. So the entire Bible points to Jesus, you see? These guys in the Old Testament looked ahead to Christ. We look back to the cross, uh, look forward to the return of Christ. But the Old Testament holds lessons for us. Why does it hold lessons? Well, that's Romans 15, 4. For whatever was written in earlier times, that's the Old Testament, whatever was written in earlier times was written, watch this, for our instruction, so that through perseverance or through endurance. <laughs> Why do you need endurance? Because it's a long race, because it's a hard race. Isn't it? We get tired, we get fatigued, we get worn out. We're sick and tired of dealing with this stuff. It's the nature of the race. For whatever was written in earlier times, it was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance or endurance, watch this, and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. We're running the race now. We get gassed, we get tired, we lose hope. Oh my gosh, it's all closing in on me, just how Job felt. It's all closing in on me. Why is this happening to me? Why am I hitting the dead end? Why am I running into this wall? I thought God was for me. Why, 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 is the, or why are these events occurring in my life? I'm not against you, Lord. I'm for you. I, I, I remember in my early 30s when I, I went through that, that deep depression I'd never been in before, and it seemed like everything I touched failed. I mean, I could not catch a break. And at one time, I, I was so worn out, I remember saying, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you? Why are you against me? I'm not, I'm not against you. I am for you. But I, I feel like a quarterback. And every time I take the snap from center, and my linemen come after me. I expect the other guys to come after me, but it's like my linemen are trying to sack me. Look at my jersey. It says, yay God, yay Jesus. I'm on your team. How come you're not on mine? Because, see, it seemed like he wasn't on my team. Have you ever been there? Well, if you haven't, you will be. And once again, I'm just here to encourage you. There are times when God takes us into the hard place that we don't want to be because he's going to try us and test us and refine us. You say, yeah, okay, all right, so be it. What does that have to do with the Old Testament? Well, these things were in earlier times for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Because when I look back, and particularly in the lives of the men in the Old Testament, where we've got enough information to see how God built them and took them from immaturity to maturity, you're going to see that they went through the thrill of victory and they went through the agony of defeat. But he got them through. And whenever he took them through a hard time, whenever he took them through a difficult time, it was on purpose for a reason that they couldn't see. God had something in mind. So, we go to Hebrews 11. And tonight, we are looking at You say, man, I don't know if I'm into this suffering thing. I don't know if I'm into this adversity thing. Nothing good comes into our lives except through adversity. Is that not right? 
I've been reading a book this week um, called Fearless. It's the story of a young man by the name of uh, Adam Brown. Never heard of Adam Brown before. Uh, one of the great Navy SEALs uh, who's ever been, died in Afghanistan. A young kid, good kid, you know, outgoing, popular in high school, not a real big guy, uh, just an uh, incredible football player, would take anybody on, didn't care who you were, he'd, he'd take you on, and if you beat him, he'd get up, and, and he would just, he'd never quit. He'd wear the big guys out. You might beat his tail, but he would beat you with his endurance. And a uh, good kid, but when he went off to college, he, uh, he got in with the wrong friends. And it never partied. He started partying. He was in a new. He was at a college. He didn't know anybody. He didn't, you know, no close relationships away from his family. And he just, he just went off the deep end. Started drinking. Then the next thing you know, he's smoking dope. The next thing you know, he's doing meth. The next thing you know, he's doing crack cocaine. And this kid just went. He went off the deep end. And his, he's lying to his family, stealing money from him. All this, you know. I mean, four or five years of his life, he's just wasted. Kid had tremendous potential, tremendous potential. And then uh, he hit bottom when he was arrested for 11 felonies. He had a wise father because when he was in jail, his dad wouldn't bail him out. He said, nope, not this time. I'm not bailing you. Not this. He, his dad knew he needed to feel the weight of the consequences of his decisions if he was ever going to turn around. And when he hit bottom and his dad let him sit in that jail for a while, reality set in. And he called out to the Lord. And then the Lord began to work in his life. He called out to the Lord in brokenness and repentance. And, and then not too long after that, he met... Uh, he met a girl who really should have had no business even talking to him. But she knew the Lord. And they kind of had a connection. And they started going. And then they got married. And he told her, you know what my life dream is? And she kept encouraging him. God's got something for you. You know what my real dream is? Is to be a Navy SEAL. They'll never let me in. Not with my record. And she encouraged him, well, why don't you go down to the recruiting office? And he walks in there, and he was going to tell him the truth. And he knew he, he, if he knew if he told him the truth, he would be disqualified. And he told the guy the truth. And the guy's listening to him. And he said, is there anybody who can vouch for you? He goes, actually, there is. And his best friend in high school, his dad was some common, I don't even know the term. His dad was some bigwig in the Marines. He said, well, he can. He said, seriously? He said, I think he'd vouch for me. Guy makes a couple calls, gets him on the line. He says, I've got Adam Brown sitting here. He said, I'm glad to hear Adam's there. He's told me a story. He said, sir, would you vouch for him? He said, absolutely, without hesitation. He's in. And uh, you talk about adversity, and you talk about setbacks. And somehow he made it. And once he was in, things just kept happening to him. Uh, was in Afghanistan. There, there was a convoy. They were attacked. He, one truck hit another. Uh, severs all the fingers on his hand except for his thumb. Well, he's out. That's it. He's never going to get into action. He never got, he was on his way to action and never had action because so suddenly, you know, yeah, he, he's, he's going to be out of the seals. Never had a day of combat. But you know what? He wouldn't give up. And he wouldn't give up. And he, he went in there and had them do a local anesthetic, and he watched them put those fingers back on. And he talked to those doctors as they were doing it, because he wanted to understand. And the adversity that he went through in the rehab. 
And, and the only way he would have a shot at getting to the elite, and I'm summarizing all this, was to go to sniper school, was to be a Navy SEAL sniper. And, and the hardship, you know the hardship the SEALs go through. I mean, it's insane. But the snipers go even through more. And, and now he was going to go in the sniper deal, but this was his trigger finger. They were reattaching, and he wasn't even sure he was going to get feeling in it. So you know what he did? He taught himself to shoot left-handed. And uh, so instead of right-handed, he goes left-handed. And the adversity. That guy's whole life was adversity. And uh, I, I picked up the book. A publisher sent it to me, and, and I thought. And there was one endorsement I saw from a SEAL. And this guy said, if there's ever been a Navy SEAL, we should have a book about it, written about him. It's Adam Brown. So I better read this. Uh, God was relentless on this young man. Relentless. But he kept fighting through the adversity. And every time he did, he became a stronger man. He became a better man. He had endurance. He had natural gifts, but he had to develop character. So God put him in affliction after affliction. And he ultimately gave his life for his country. But, uh, guys, life is hard. But God has a purpose in the suffering. You'll see it in Moses. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. There's so much nonsense about Christianity out there. This happy-go-lucky. Isn't there? You know, your life ought to be easy. Everything ought to just... That's a crock. God will bless you, but he's going to take you through stuff because he doesn't want to leave us where we are. Hebrews 11. If you note um, verse 23, we're into Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. This is, a, I mean, you're talking about summary of summaries, okay? Moses lived 120 years. They're going to summarize his life uh, in six verses, 23 to 29, okay? By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. They were, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment. He could have had an easy life, but he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for the reward. Not the reward on earth, the reward of eternity. Uh, 27. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he, he who had destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land, and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. That's a summary of Moses' life, 120 years. He was a man who walked by faith. You're called to walk by faith, I'm called to walk by faith. God calls his people to always walk by faith. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. For those who come to him must believe that he is, even when it seems that he's not around and he's not available and he's silent. Those who come to him must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. He may not reward you when you want him to. He may not reward you how you want him to, but he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him and work through the stuff. You tr the Christian life is believing that God is there and that the promises that God has made, you live off the promises and believe that God will come through for you in his way, in his time. Not your way, not your time. God works in the lives of his men, but God works strangely. He always works strangely. 
Isaiah 55, 8. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above the earth, are my ways above your ways, my thoughts above your thoughts. So he's not going to do it how you think he ought to do it. He'll do it, but not your way. When you look at the life of Moses and this short summary, he lived 120 years. You can take the life of Moses, and it falls very naturally into three 40-year chapters. Every guy in here, there are chapters in your life. I've said it before. Uh, every biography I've ever read breaks up in the chapters. I'm reading this guy, Adam Brown, this Navy SEAL. I'm reading his biography. His life breaks up in the chapters, in the book. Well, no one's ever going to write a book about you or me, but our life still breaks up in the chapters. So you look back over your life that got you this far, you see chapters, don't you? Yes, you do. You're in a chapter right now. Some of you have just started a chapter. Some of you are in the middle of a chapter. Some of you since, I was talking with a young guy this week, and, and he's, he's telling me he's a little concerned because he's been in the job, and then I said, you know what you're telling me? You sense this chapter's coming to an end. He goes, yeah, I guess I do sense that. I said, you know why you sense that? He goes, no, why? I said, because it's coming to an end. <laughs> That's why. And so you're a little anxious because you don't know what the next chapter is. That's how life works. <laughs> we go from faith to faith. We go from chapter to chapter. You see? Well, I'm pretty comfortable in this chapter. Well, good, enjoy it. But you won't be there forever because he wants to build our faith. You see? So we just take it a day at a time, trusting the Lord, keeping our Bibles open, keeping a teachable spirit, being obedient. Don't miss around. Just stay the course. He'll navigate you. He'll lead you. And talk to that young man on my way over here. Asked me to pray about a meeting this morning. How'd that go? He said it was remarkably significant. I said, really? He said there was quite a connection. It was shockingly, uh, I, I, and, I, and I thought, providential. He was kind of stunned. Uh, it very well could be this is his next step. But he has trouble sleeping because of the weight of responsibility that's now in his life. His life. We can all identify, can't we? Moses' life breaks up into three chapters of 40 years each. The first chapter is from birth to the age right around 40. And, and <laughs> there's one word, there's, I, I would give it two words to summarize that first chapter of Moses' uh, life, and what I would call it is unbelievable success. Unbelievable. Then there's the second chapter of his life, uh, which lasts 40 years till the age of 80. The two words I would use to describe the second chapter of his life is uh, unbelievable disappointment. And I might also throw in their failure. He was a beaten and broken man from 40 to 80. And then from 80 to 120, here's the phrase I would use, fit for the master's use. Now he's ready to be used. Um, he starts off by saying in verse 23, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. Now, you know what's interesting about that? Not only did Moses walk by faith, but his parents walked by faith. Because Moses, and, and you know, guys, when you look back over your life, God's sovereign over your life. God's sovereign over your, every chapter of your life. God is sovereign over your birth He's sovereign over your family, your family foundations, all of that, all your background. You, you, you're not born in that family by chance. You're born in that family by the will of God. And, and, and for some, they, it's a good family. It's a healthy family. For a lot of people, it's not a real healthy family. Maybe they don't even know the Lord. But God, when, when you look at God's work in the life of men, uh, you, you look at their birth and their entrance into the world, you could call that the sovereign foundations of your life. God's in charge of all that. Moses was born at a terrible time. It was so bad, his parents were forced to walk by faith. Go with me to Exodus um, chapter 1. And, and, 
and we're starting with verse 23, by faith Moses when he was born, but the previous verse talks about Joseph. By faith Joseph. Okay? So you got Joseph, and then you got Moses. 430 years separate Joseph and Moses, but there's a connection, as you're going to see. Because it was through Joseph, the children of Israel, the nation of Israel, we had Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob last week. Jacob had 12 sons. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay? Um, when they sold Joseph into slavery, uh, thinking they'd never see him again, they were going to see him again because God had a plan for his life. And there was great disappointment in his life and shock, and he was stunned by what God allowed and permitted and planned to occur in his life, but there was a purpose for it. Um, you know the story of Joseph. God's going to raise him up. Uh, there's a worldwide famine. God puts him co-ruler with Pharaoh. The famine hits. Um, his brothers show up. Uh, he tweaks him a couple of times just to get their attention. Then he reveals that he's Joseph. They go back, they get their dad, and the nation of Israel, which was comprised of uh, less than 100 people, uh, they moved to Egypt because of Joseph. Okay? So the question is, how did they get into Egypt? Joseph brought them in. Look at uh, Exodus chapter 1. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came, each one with his household. And these are Joseph and his brothers. Okay? Uh, if you look at verse 5, all the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 by number. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Okay? You watch what's happening in Europe, where Europe, they have everybody in Europe who likes their prosperity and their eight-week vacations and the good life and all this kind of stuff. So they have 1.2 children in Europe. And they didn't want to do any work, so they imported people of the Muslim faith to come in, and those people have uh, many, many children. And so what's happened is, is that Europe is going to go Muslim within this generation. And you can read the stats and who's going, you know, it's just how it works. Well, this is what happened in Egypt. Only it happened with the Egyptians and the Jews. Okay? So, uh, verse 8. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Why? Because he didn't know history. He didn't take history. He had never taken Egyptian history. Uh, that's what happens when you don't study history. Uh, Hegel said, history teaches us that men never learn from history. This guy didn't learn. He didn't know. All he knew, generations go by, and he sees, man, we got all these, who are these people? Live in Goshen? They're outnumbering us, and he became afraid of them. Verse 9, he didn't know about Joseph. He didn't know the story. He didn't know how they got there. He said to his people, behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mighty, mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of a war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities in Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread out, so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field, all the labors which they rigorously imposed on them. And there were so many of them that, that he was afraid they were going to rebel against him. Uh, and then it says, then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of, uh, one of whom was named Shifra and the other was named Puah. Some of you, uh, your wife's pregnant. If you have a little daughter, you're looking for a unique name. Do not name her Puah. <laughs> Don't do that to the girl, okay? Uh, but Puah and Shifra were Hebrew midwives. And he said to them, when you were helping the Hebrew women give birth and, see upon, and you see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall put him to death. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? They basically said to Pharaoh, Because these women give birth so quickly, we can't stop it. Okay. Uh, 21. Uh, 20. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied, and they became very mighty. Because of the midwives, 
Because the midwives feared God, he established families, households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who was born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. So if I can't get them at birth, you, go, you get a little boy, you throw him into the Nile River. That's when Moses was born. Chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a daughter of Levi. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him for three months. That's Moses. Not only did Moses walk by faith, his parents had to walk by faith. You've given us this little boy, and this is the worst possible time we could ever have a little boy. But God works strangely. God had a, little, God had a plan for this little boy. God had something in mind for little boy. Uh, I won't read all the text. You know the story. So what happens? In order to protect this little boy... What do they do? They make a little uh, cradle with pitch and make it waterproof. And his sister Miriam takes him down to the edge of the Nile in the bulrushes. And he kind of, they hide the kid out and, you know, they just, nobody will find him. And then Pharaoh's daughter shows up one day, you know, at the riverbank and it must have drifted. And she, what's this? And Oh, it's one of the Hebrew babies. And God gave her favor for that little baby. And instead of throwing him in the river, she said, I'm going to take that boy. And then Miriam comes and said, would you like me to get a, a nurse, a nanny from the Hebrew people? Yeah. So went and got her mom. And so Moses was raised by his mother in the household of Pharaoh. He was raised by Pharaoh as Pharaoh's daughter. And that's the first 40 years of his life. Is that wild or what? Yeah. It's pretty wild. God was sovereign over all of it because God has a plan. Did Moses know? I mean, all he knows is he's got a pretty cushy life. And his cousins and everybody's out slaving and they're, you know, they can't get a break and they're exhausted and, and he's living the good life. Okay. Here's something that happens at the age of 40. Uh, just before he hits 40, and it's in, shoot, we'll just keep going. I left Exodus 2. Let me go back. Verse 11. Now it came back, in those, it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked upon their hard labors, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of the brethren. Um, you know the story? where Moses is, it's also told by Stephen in Acts chapter 7, that Moses, you know, he's almost 40 years old, and Moses has empathy for his brethren, and he sees one of the slaves being beaten, just without mercy. Moses steps in and uh, kills the guy who's beaten the slave. And if you look over to uh, Acts 7, am I boring you guys? Go over to Acts 7. Because when Stephen is making his defense to the Jewish uh, bureaucrats who uh, hated Christ and who hated the gospel, uh, and, and many of them came to the Lord, but uh, as he was making his defense before they killed him, he's giving them an Old Testament history lesson. And if you look at verse 20, he says, It was at this time that Moses was born. He was lovely in the sight of God. He was nurtured three months in his father's home. And after he had been set outside, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and nurtured him as her own son. Moses was educated in all the learning of the Egyptians, and he was a man of power in words and deeds. He had a phenomenal education. Uh, Flavius Josephus talks about how he would have been educated. Egypt was probably the most advanced country in the face of the earth. Uh, he was also a military commander, Flavius Josephus tells us. The Ethiopians came up, captured the city of Memphis. Um, Moses led an all-night march, took it back, uh, was a general. He, he, this, 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 Moses was an incredible individual because of his education, because of his natural gifts. Notice that it says he was a man of power in words and deeds. That's important because later in his life, he's going to tell God that he's not a man who is articulate. Get to that later. 
23, but when he was approaching the age of 40, it entered his mind to visit his brethren and the sons of Israel. And he saw one of them being treated unjustly. He defended him, took vengeance for the oppressed by striking down the Egyptian. Now, he gives us something that's not given in, in Exodus 2. It says this. Why did he step in and do that? And he understood that his, and, and he supposed that his brethren understood that God was granting them deliverance through him. But they did not understand. What does that mean? Here's what, here's what it means. As he got older, he figured out he wasn't in that palace just for his own personal pleasure and affluence. God put him there for a reason. All of his relatives are suffering without mercy, and he's living the high life. And he starts putting two and two together. He said, you know, there's a reason God's put me here. Why? You know what? Those people need to be set free and go back to the promised land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I think God's going to use me. Who else would God use? I'm the only guy that has the training, that has the education, that has the military leadership. And so he thought when he stood up, they would understand he's the guy. And you know what? He was right. He was the guy to lead them out, wasn't he? He was right on the plan. Watch this. He was wrong on the timing. He was 40 years off. So he pretty much tried to pull the exodus off by himself at the age of 39. And it was a miserable failure. So now is chapter 2 of his life. He goes from the palace to the pasture in Midian. And again, we could spend all night reading this text, but he took off to Midian. Why did he go to Midian? Because nobody in their right mind would go to Midian. Nobody. Uh, if you ever drive from California into Arizona, when you get out of Barstow and you get to the state line, there's a gas station, some beat up old gas station, you know, you never want to go in the restroom, there's some toothless dog out front. I mean, it's just a mess. But it's the last gas for like 127 miles. So everybody pulls in there. That's Midian. That's pretty much Midian. And so he goes from the palace, and for the next 40 years, he's in Midian with a few sheep. And I think his life was full of regret and second guessing that he was the one guy that God put in position to do something for the people and he took his shot and he blew it. And he thought he was finished. There are guys in here who feel the same way. I screwed up. I blew it. It was my fault. I, I don't know why I acted the way, but I did. And, and now there's regret, there's second guessing, and you think you had your shot and you'll never get another. That's where he was for 40 years. First 40 years, success. Second 40 years, he's a failure. He's a walking failure. Uh, you talk about a transition, you talk about a change. If you analyze that, and I don't have time to analyze it too much, but I'll make three points. When, when, he, when he tried to pull that thing off and it didn't work, and he had to flee to Midian, he had a change of address. Did he not? Uh, we, we want to be upwardly mobile. Well, he was the exact opposite of that. See, a lot of times in life, you find yourself at this age, and at this age of life, you thought you'd be way down here, way up here. But in actuality, you find yourself way back here, down here. That's where he was. So he's got a change of address. Now he's got a change of vocation. Now he's going to walk around with some sheep for 40 years. He is uh, remarkably overqualified and underchallenged. Uh, he's got no motivation. He's bored, I think, spitless because he was trained for leadership. 
and he's not doing it. He, is, he has been put on the shelf, and you know what? He is dormant for 40 years. Nobody wants to waste their life. We all want to be productive. We want to make our mark. But sometimes God sets us apart. Why does he set us apart? Well, he works strangely, but he has a reason for setting us apart. Apart from me, you can do nothing. John 15. But see, we think we can do stuff apart from him. So what God does is he takes capable men. He's given these men gifts. He's given them abilities. He's given them smarts in certain areas. Everybody's got smarts in different areas. And you put together your plan, and you're going to do it your way, and you put all this, and then it fails miserably. And, and, you, and, and you wind up in Midian. And, and all your options are gone. Uh, well, well, now, 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 uh, now you're at a good place, although you don't want to be there. Because when you realize that you can't do it by yourself, that's the greatest day of your life. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So for 40 years, this is going to be rammed home to him, okay? Um, so 40 years go by. So what else happened? Uh, pretty much nothing. Pretty much, not, not a whole lot to tell. Got married, had you know, some kids. That was pretty much it. And then one day he's walking, and uh, he sees his bush on fire, and he runs over there. But what's, this is like nothing he's ever seen, because this bush is not being consumed. And God tells him to take off his sandals, because he's on holy ground. Now, what, what's God going to do? This is the third chapter. God says, I want you to go back, and I want you to deliver those people. He said, great. Oh, my gosh, I've been waiting for something. Is that what he said? Actually, it's not what he said. Why didn't he say it? Well, let's stop and think for a minute. The first 40 years... I'm going to read you this quote to set this up. F.B. Meyer wrote this about Moses. Moses was brought up in the palace, and he was treated as the grandson of Pharaoh. When he was old enough, he was probably sent to be educated in the college, which had grown up around the Temple of the Sun and has been called the Oxford of ancient Egypt. That's why Moses, uh, Stephen says in Acts 7.22 that Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. But Moses was more much more than a royal student. He was a statesman. He was a soldier. Stephen tells us that he was mighty in words and deeds. Mighty in words, this is the statesman. Mighty in deeds, there is the soldier. Uh, he refers to Josephus, says that while he was still in his early manhood, the Ethiopians invaded Egypt. And I told you the story about how he saved the city of Memphis. Um, because of the threat of the Ethiopians, the oracles were consulted, and on the recommendation, Moses was entrusted with the command of royal troops. He made the all-night march, defeated the enemy, um, returned to Egypt with the spoils of victory. Uh, here are the facts. He was, he was born and adopted by the wealthiest family in Egypt. He was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He had the equivalent of a PhD from Oxford. He was a highly decorated military leader. Um, and honestly, because of the adoption process, he was literally in line to become pharaoh of Egypt. Guys like that are very self-confident. Are they not? When everything goes your way and you're gifted and you're capable, you know what? You know what you got and you know what you can do. It ain't bragging if you can do it. And he's got it. So for 40 years, God takes this guy, and he's got to pull the drain plug on his self-esteem and his uh, self-confidence, because apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. And God utterly drains him of the stuff 
that characterized his life the first 40 years. Now he can be used. And now when God approaches him about being used, if you go to Exodus, is it four? I think it is. And I got to watch the clock. God comes to him. Well, four is, is part of it. But it really picks up in three, where he sees the bush. God speaks to me out of the bush. Verse seven, the Lord said, I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I'm in three, seven. I've given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their sufferings. I want to deliver them. Uh, 10, therefore come now, I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said to God, who am I? He wasn't saying that 40 years prior. He's saying, I'm, hey, I know you got 800 resumes, but you know what? I'm the best guy. That's not what he's saying now. Who am I? that I should go and do this. God says, certainly I will be with you. This shall be the sign to you that I have sent you. Um, and, and then he keeps, he keeps registering objections to God. Uh, if you read all the way through this and you get down to chapter 4, verse 10, and, and God's showing him all this power. He puts his hand into his, his uh, cloak and it comes out leprous. He puts it back, it comes out clean. God's showing him his power, verse 10. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past. Well, actually, he was eloquent. But see, God had to drain it all out of him. Now God can use the guy. Uh, I, you know what I take from that? When you think you're finished, you're about to get started. That's what happened with Adam Brown. This kid hit rock bottom. Rock bottom. He was finished, and he knew he was finished. All right, now, God, now, now God's going to work. <laughs> because now you have no agenda, and it's just God's agenda. When God wants to thrill a man and drill a man, then watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he ruthlessly perfects. So for 40 years, God put Moses in the uh, desert, and uh, he'd been educated, but we've talked before about the school of disappointment. God sent him off there for 40 years to get an MCA degree, not MBA, MCA. MCA is a master of characters acquisition. It's all about character. How do you get character? By going through hard things. Uh, there are four courses to get a master of character acquisition, uh, I think. Number one, unemployment 101. Sometimes God will stall your career. Why? Because he's going to pull you out of the regular mainstream of life, and he's going to do something that's going to scare you to death. And uh, suddenly Moses was unemployed. With his resume, you're leading a bunch of sheep. That was virtual unemployment 101. Uh, the second course I think he took was advanced obscurity. Everybody in Egypt knew who he was. Everybody knew who he was. Nobody knew where he was, and nobody knew who he was in Midian. There will be times when God will remove you, when he's doing a deep work in your life, out of your normal mainstream group, your, your network, your this, your that, and he might remove you and make you obscure for a season. Why? Because you're going to go one-on-one -on -one with him and learn lessons in obscurity you never learn when things are going your way and you're the life of the party. That's why Adam Brown's dad left him in jail. He was a popular kid. And his parents took a lot of heat. I can't believe you're leaving him there. Well, he needs to learn some lessons. Third course I think he took was intermediate loneliness. And this again goes back to going one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. Uh, I've noticed in my life, on two different occasions, how do I say this? I've seen this in my life, and I've seen it in the lives of others. 
when you really go through a deep, 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 deep valley, you'll watch many of your friends peel off. And they're not, and, and <laughs> right, Ron? We talked about this one night. And they check out. It happens. It happens. It's intermediate loneliness. I think the fourth course we take is remedial waiting. Nobody wants to wait. Nobody. Nobody. We're into microwave theology. Are we not? Sometimes God comes through in an instant. Sometimes he does that. He doesn't always do it. Sometimes he works not only strangely, but sometimes he works slowly. And this whole time, Moses is having to walk by faith. So you go back to Hebrews 11, the summary. God takes him back, and by faith he goes back. And when he first goes back, you know what happens? Uh, uh, it all falls apart. Because the people listen to him, and they do what he says, and, and then Pharaoh says, listen, this is nonsense. I'm going to make your task even harder. Instead of supplying the straw, you're going to have to get your own straw. And it got worse. A lot of times we're in the will of God, and we do what he says. The first thing that happens to us is that things take a downturn. Because you're in a testing. And so by faith, he had to keep moving. And then the power of God and the ten plagues. And the last plague, Pharaoh won't listen, is you put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost because the angel of death is going to come. And the angel of death came. And none of the firstborn of Israel were taken, but everything firstborn in Egypt was taken, including the firstborn son, including Pharaoh's son. And that's when Pharaoh said, Go. By faith, he believed what God said. You put the blood over. Uh, the New Testament says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. That was a type of the blood of Christ. So by faith, they believed that when the angel of death came, it would pass over them. And by faith, that's what happened because God said it would happen. So he walked by faith. And then they let him go. All right, we got a new venture. We're going out. Before they, they leave, you got a bunch of broke slaves for 430 years. It was 430 years to the day from when they went into Egypt to when they went out. They went in under Joseph, they went out under Moses. 430 years to the day. They go out, they're broke, they have no money. So God allows them to plunder the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were so sick and tired of them. They said, here, here's the Rolex, take it. Get out of here. Here are the gold bars that are underneath, you know, the uh, patio in the backyard, take it. They gave them gold. They walked out of there filthy rich for the first time in over 400 years. Because God can change things in an instant. And now they're on their way to the promised land. Oh, this is great. This is unbelievable. Yeah, it's wonderful. And God says, I don't want you going the direct route. You go this way, out of the way, because sometimes God works strangely and they camp there by this Reed Sea or the Red Sea. And everything's good. They put the kids to bed. They're, you know, checking their Schwab accounts, their IRAs. They've never had IRAs before. Everything's good. You know? They're happy. They're content. And while that's happening, if you read Exodus 14, while they're camped and everything's good, God is stirring up the heart of Pharaoh. And Pharaoh says, what the heck was I doing letting those people go? And so now they come running after him. And the next morning they see him and they absolutely have a conniption fit because they're trapped and there's no way out. The sea's in front of them, mountains on both sides, Pharaoh's army. And there is no escape. And God made a way. And they cross the Red Sea by faith. And one of the old scholars, I think he's right, he said that when God opened the Red Sea, he believed that God didn't open the whole thing all at once. He think God opened it as they stepped and walked by faith each step. It opened because we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And every time they took a step, that ground, which was absolutely saturated, before their foot hit the next piece of dirt, was dried. They crossed on dry land. And when they got to the other side, nobody was doing this because of the mud. There was no mud because God is in every detail of our lives. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea. And then they got in, Pharaoh's army comes in. You saw the movie. You know what I'm talking about.
Moses walked by faith. We're walking by faith. Right? You facing something, and you kind of feel hemmed in, and you're not quite sure how this thing's going to sort? We got an election coming up. I don't know if you guys are aware of that. We got an election coming up. I agree with what Chuck said. I agree. I thought it was great. Chuck read the statement from Billy Graham. Billy Graham basically said, this is probably the last election I'll see. I think it's the most important one in my lifetime. Absolutely. Well, what if it doesn't go the way I think it's supposed to go? It may, you know, God runs it. God owns it. God, God determines it. I mean, I voted today. I'm going to go back and vote tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I voted for my dad. He passed away five years ago. No, I, I voted today. But I'm really curious to see what God wants to do. And I'll tell you what, he may be merciful. And then again, he may not. And I don't know. But it really doesn't matter because he's God. And if the stuff we don't want to occur and I'm speaking in broad generalities here. And this is true in any area of life. If what you don't want to occur, occurs, the hand of God is all over it. And he has hidden purposes that we cannot see. But that he will ultimately turn for the glory of his name and the good of his people. So we just keep walking by faith. Looking at these guys in the Old Testament, he made a way for them. He'll make a way for us. You know, guys, I pretty much say the same thing every week. Because when you're walking by faith, and we all are, that's pretty much it. We walk by faith trusting in the risen Christ who is God who controls all things that our destiny and the destiny of our children and our grandchildren and the destiny of the whole world is in his hands, in his power, in his control, and we are safe and no one can snatch us out of the Father's hand. We're good. Are we not good? Yeah. So let's go down to in and out and get a double-double. <laughs> we will make a way. And listen. You say, well, yeah, but sometimes stuff don't, bad things happen. I, I remember my dad had, had a major investment with some guys, some partners, built these 400 apartments. I remember that well. I was in high school. Oh, he was a raving success. And then I remember when he had to file for bankruptcy. I remember that well. That's not what my dad wanted. It's what happened. It may have been the best thing that ever happened to him because that was his wilderness and he learned things. Oh, and that wasn't the last chapter. It was just an interim chapter because God had things in mind for my dad that my dad couldn't see. I'm sure he thought he was finished, but he wasn't. And he had three boys watching how he handled it. You see? And he just kept following the Lord when what he didn't want to occur occurred walking by faith, living off daily manna. Was it always that way? It was for a season, and then what got to do? God started turning it around. In one year, his income increased 13 times after he learned the lessons. Our Father knows what he's doing. Let's stay teachable. Let's not get bitter. Let's have open hearts 
and ask him to teach us the lessons and let's entrust our lives into his care. He knows what he's doing. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the truth. We really don't know what's best. We know what we would like. We don't know what's best. You do. I pray for every guy in here that we would submit to your authority. If there is to be a time in the wilderness, nobody wants to go into the wilderness. But if you call us in, Lord, make us alert. Help us to keep our Bibles open and give us teachable spirits so that we can learn with full attention to what you're trying to say. We don't need ADD in the wilderness. We don't need our minds wandering. And that's why you put us in the wilderness, so that you will have our undivided attention. So if we're there, we fix our eyes on Jesus. And we trust you with our lives. And we know, here's the truth, Lord, you're a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So you may take away for a season, as you did with Job. But then, when the course is complete, you gave him back double. You are our father. You are our banker. Our life is in your hands. Enable us to sleep well tonight because you have promised to give us daily bread. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.